the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today's homily will be given by Angelo Mishriki. We're very blessed to have him give us the homily today, especially since today is the feast of the Archangel Michael, and God sent us an Angelo uh, to give us the word of God. So let us open our hearts and hear the words of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. I will try to be brief. I have a stopwatch here, so I promise I won't go too long. Uh, when I was asked to talk today, I read the readings, and I was very surprised by the Pauline epistle because it was, it seemed St. Paul was being very tough with the Corinthians. Uh and the more I read, the more I saw this theme uh, of emptying ourselves. Uh, St. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians in the Pauline epistle, and he speaks to a people that had recently converted to Christianity, to a people that were struggling with this sin of boasting. He, he mentions this boasting to them numerous times, and he even appears to, to kind of speak tongue-in-cheek, almost sarcastically. He's saying, you know, you, you love boasting, so let me boast too. Um, he keeps saying, you know, let no one think me a fool, right? But I'm going to speak as a fool. You guys like to boast, so I'll boast. You, again, he is being sarcastic, it seems. In verse 19, he says, for you put up with fools gladly because you yourselves are so wise. You certainly would put up with it if somebody puts you in bondage. You would put up with it if someone devours you. You would put up with it, of course, if someone takes from you or exalts himself or strikes you on the face. Surely you would put up with all of that because you're so wise. And then he, very second verse, he says, to our shame I say that we were too weak for that. So he answers himself. He says, no, of course that's not what you were doing. You're just boasting. You're proud. And then he asks, okay, well, what are you proud of? What are these things that you're proud of? Are you proud because you're Hebrews? I'm a Hebrew, he says. Are you proud because you are of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Uh, he then speaks to the Christians, the Gentiles that had converted, and he said, are you proud maybe because you converted to Christianity and you are these ministers of Christ? And then he says, I speak as a fool, but me too. And, and, and I did more, he says. I was shipwrecked. I was beaten. I was naked and hungry and tired. I was scourged five times. I was stoned once. I was... Uh, in danger from even my own countrymen, from Christians, from strangers. I was robbed. I was beaten. All of these things. And so then the question comes again, why are you proud? But he's speaking very, very, you know, in, difficult, in a difficult way with them to indicate, I think, that the goal is not for us necessarily to, of course we should be proud of our heritage and of course we should have we should be glad that we are Christian. We should be glad that we are given tribulations. We should be glad that we are given the fast and all of these things that the church gives us. But 
Are we really boasting in that or are we boasting in other things? Are we boasting in what it makes us feel? Are we boasting in all of the appearances that we get to have and get to say that we have? But it's a call, I think, to empty ourselves from these passions, from not just boasting, but anger, a laziness, lust, all of the things that bind us up in our hearts. All of the gifts even that we have aren't our gifts. They're nothing that we came up with or nothing that we created, but they, they were given to us. And so as we begin the fast, as we begin to walk with Christ towards his journey to the cross, as we see Christ giving up all of these things, as we see him literally emptying himself into humanity, pouring himself out for us on the cross, even pouring his own blood for us on the cross, what can we pour out? In the Catholic epistle, when St. Peter speaks about you know that line of things, right? If you have faith and add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge and so on and so on, add all of these things. In the very beginning, though, before all of that, he says, as his divine grace has given to us all of these things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. He predicates it with the identity of Christ. So yes, we add to our faith virtue, and yes, we add to our virtue knowledge. And we add to our virtues, all of these other virtues, but it starts with Christ. It starts with having our identity in Christ. And as we get closer to the gospel, we see this theme more apparent. We see this theme of emptying ourselves become more apparent. In Acts, Paul himself shows us this example. Uh, he goes to the other disciples, and this is the first council that's mentioned when more people had converted to Christianity, and the question was whether or not these people needed to convert to Judaism first and then convert to Christianity. And Paul, who was previously Saul, who was very zealous and, and very active in following all of the rules of the Israelites and all of the ancient customs is now going to these disciples and saying, no, that, you know, we don't need to follow all of these ancient rules. This person who watched a Saint Stephen was stoned, who persecuted Christians himself because they weren't following the ancient customs, is now going to all of the disciples and saying, you don't need to follow the ancient customs. And they listen and they say, okay, we get it, but... Now that we get it, you have to follow some ancient customs. We have to do this vow, and the Nazarite vow is a very old uh, tradition to commemorate uh, a vow or an oath to God. So they say, okay, well, listen, we're going to do what you said. We don't need to follow these vows, but you and these four other people, you go follow these vows. And he does. He doesn't even think about it. He could have argued. He could have said, that's literally what we just talked about. We, I don't have to do that. The old ways are done. That's why Christ was here. That's why Christ died. But he doesn't. He doesn't argue. There's no mention of this being a difficult conversation at all. He just obeys. And so we see in 
in the Pauline epistle to the Corinthians, he's asking us to empty ourselves of the passions. In the Catholic epistle, St. Peter is asking us to empty ourselves of worldly cares, of worldly knowledge, of all of the things that we think we can rely on. And in Acts, we see St. Paul himself emptying himself of even his own identity, his own ego, his own will. We see even in the Pauline epistle when he is chastising the Corinthians, he says, to our, our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. He's talking about the things they did wrong. He doesn't say to your shame, you were too weak for that. He says to our shame, we were too weak for that. So already even then, he's stripping himself of his own identity. He's getting rid of his own ego. He's making their problems his problems. Their bad choices that he had nothing to do with, his choices now. He's willing to live with them in this moment and not just be above them and guide them, but go down there with them and lead them out himself. And so then we get to the gospel where the focus is on the church reminding us that we have to work in secret. We have to do all of the good works that we do in secret. We have to do all of our all of our work that the church instructs us to do, not only in secret, but go out of our way to make sure that it's a secret. There's mention, at least in two places, of God who is in the secret place. We'll see what you're doing in secret. And then the question is, why? Why is there this focus on doing things in secret? I mean, and yes, the answer that's given is, well, if you do it publicly, you get glory from men, but if you do it secretly, you'll get, you know, or your reward from God. But what's really being asked here? I think what's being asked is seen even when we are given our, our Father, the prayer that we pray every day for uh, many times every service. This prayer itself gives us this guideline, and it, and it focuses from the very beginning on getting rid of our own will. We say that God's name is to be glorified. We say his will is to take place on earth. We say that his designs, his plan for us is to take over our plans, our will, our desires. We ask for forgiveness only if we forgive others, if we can empty ourselves of the grudges that we have, the structures that we have in our heads, all of the patterns and habits that we build up in our lives, we ask for God to give us his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy, but we say only give it to us, or rather God in, in, in giving us this prayer says, ask me for these things, but he sets a condition. He doesn't just say ask for forgiveness. He doesn't just say ask for mercy or grace or help. Don't just ask me. But ask with this condition. That whatever you're asking of me, 
empty yourself of what you have first so that Christ can give me whatever it is. If I want forgiveness, I need to empty myself of whatever grudges I have. I I can't come to God and ask for forgiveness if all I can think about are my own petty grudges. I can't ask for his grace if all I can think about is my will and what I want. I ask him all of the time for what I want. But then I never think to ask him for what he wants for me. Most of the time I'm satisfied only to ask for what I want, what my needs are. And when we talk about this idea of emptying ourselves, we sometimes think, okay, well, you have to empty yourself of the passions. You have to empty yourself of sin. You have to empty yourself of all of these bad things, right? Because if you get rid of those bad things, then you're closer to God. And that seems simple. But it seems that what God is asking us is to do something more complicated. To not just empty ourselves of sin and of all of even the structures in us that lead to sin. The habits that we build up that, while not in and of themselves bad, lead to all of the sins that we can't seem to break out of. But God is asking us to do something more. He's asking us to empty ourselves even of our own ego, even of our own identity, our own desire to be in charge, to dictate what we want in the world, to dictate what gets to happen to us. We get told this narrative, especially in this country, of personal freedom, of getting to control exactly what you want, to pick your own way, And we see Christ here asking us to give that up. He gave us autonomy, and he gave us the ability to choose. But he's also asking that if we interact with him, and if we ask for all of these things from him, if we ask for his will, there can't be any room for our will in our hearts if we are going to ask for something from him. And as we go back to the gospel as this focus seems to be on doing work in secret, we see something different now. Once, once we kind of see it in the context of emptying ourselves, we see this desire to be known only by God. We pray in secret, we fast in secret, and we mask our good deeds, not because... We want to be secret so that God can reward us openly, and that sounds great. But we want to only be known by him. We want God to be the one who knows us best. And yes, of course, he knows us. And he knows me better than I know myself, certainly. But do I want him to be the one that knows me best? Do I want him to be the one who knows me most intimately? Or am I spending a lot of my time making sure other people in the world know this fact about me or think this way about me? When I pray, am I distracted with all of the things I have to do or am I focused on being known by God? So as we start the fast 
And as we begin to focus on ingredients of food and when we can eat and what we can eat, let's also look at the things that might not be bad, but that we can get rid of, that we can remove, that we can empty from ourselves. And it doesn't have to be anything complicated or, or big. But if I need to have that coffee in the morning, right, if the day really can't not get started unless I have that coffee, maybe try without it. And it's not that the coffee's important, right? It's that I obviously have a structure in my head. I have a plan. I have a design. I have a routine. I have things that I want. I have things that I get to control. And so maybe I should be better in getting rid of that control. Whatever these things are, even if they are perfectly innocuous, perfectly simple and have nothing to do with anything wrong, you might say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm allowed to do these things. Yes, you are. But can you empty yourself of these things? Can you empty yourself of these things so that you can be filled by what God instead has for you. So as we go through this fast, let us all ask ourselves this question of what we can empty from ourselves. And glory be to God forever. Amen.